Don't you love how God shows up? <laughs> yeah? He just loves to show up. And that really is the, the heart. Every week I'm amazed at how everything kind of weaves together into what God put on my heart to share from the Word. <laughs> Not that I share the Word every week, but I did share last week and I am sharing this week. But I wanted to focus in on something that we kind of touched on last Sunday, but it really stood out through uh, the responses I got from different ones about the whole concept that God draws us, but Satan drives us. And, and it literally it feels to me like that. God is like this, and Satan is like this. God draws, but Satan drives. He's pushing and demanding and lying and, and all of that stuff. And I want to unpack that a little bit more, but I want you to, to help me unpack that a little bit more. Because like we said last week, we're not designed to operate from empty. Anybody remember the ketchup container? Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. <laughs> Sorry if you missed it. We had an empty ketchup container that had just a little bit in it, and it was really hard to get anything out because it wasn't full. And God had just spoken to me through that that previous week. But uh, we want to be full. And we don't want to be like the enemy, who's basically an orphan. He set himself up to be cut off from fathering, didn't he? And so he tricks us into thinking the same thing, that we don't have a loving father, that we don't have someone to be there for us. And I love the, the stories that have been coming out uh, through the, the testimony time of how much it's been beneficial to different ones of our family to have others there for us. So I want us to think about spiritual orphan for a moment here. And I'd love you to kind of pitch in with what does it look like when we have an orphan heart, a heart that's been influenced by the enemy? What does it look like in our lives when we're living as if we have no father? We won't spend long on this because it's too depressing, but it's important we see it. Okay, and we're going to just throw up a few things on the whiteboard here. Uh, to start our discussion going. Then I've got some scripture to share from there. But anybody want to dive in with, what does it look like when I have an orphan heart? Loss of identity and depression. Okay, yeah. Excuse me? <laughs> All right, so no identity and depression. Brokenness is a good one, yes. I'm just going to do broken because I can't write fast enough. What else? Alone. Abandonment, alone, that's the same thing, yes, okay. Alone, afraid, that's good, yes. Any? <laughs> don't show hands here, but anybody ever been afraid in their lives? Guess where that came from? Yeah. Okay, yes, right, so there's pride, let's, let's call it pride, but it, it's, it's that whole, I have to be careful here because I'm an Englishman talking to Americans, but it's that whole independence thing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, July 4th's coming, and I might be an American by July 4th, maybe, depends how long the paperwork takes, but it's in, 
And, you know, so, yeah, I might be an American by July 4th. I still sound like an Englishman, but I might be an American by July 4th. But, yeah, pride, that whole, you know, we're the greatest, I'm the greatest, I can do it by myself, that kind of stuff. Independence. Somebody else I heard somewhere else with something? Thank you. How do you spell independence? <laughs> I guess it's a good thing to not know how to spell independence, isn't it? And <laughs> right, and empty. Actually, we uh, the the last one there I think is probably the most significant one, isn't it? Because actually, if I look at all of these others, I can put empty beside those. Yeah. And that's what I want us to catch about this whole orphan problem, this whole orphan issue, is it's not something to get rid of, because it's an emptiness, it's a, it's a lack. It's, it's not something for me to, uh, to cast out. That's why I try not to call it the orphan spirit, because it makes it sound like an evil spirit, and you can cast it out and everything will be fine. It's actually not that at all. An orphan lacks love. Lacks fathering, mothering, lacks provision, lacks inheritance, lacks all of these things. It's an emptiness rather than something that's got in that I need to get out. And so what we do with the orphan is that we pour in what's missing. We look for, that's why we lean back into the loving arms of our Heavenly Father, like the song sang in, in the worship time, right? So throw out for me, what has God done in answer to these things that we've listed here? Let me switch to a red pen and let's fill in some of God's answers. What's God's answer to no identity? Sonship, right? And sonship is not a gendered term. It's that we're like Jesus to God. So ladies, your sons. Gentlemen, your brides. Ladies, your sons. It's okay. <laughs> it's terminology. What about depression? Joy? Mm -hmm. Now, let me say this about depression. We're not saying it's your fault if you experience depression. Okay? Because all of us do at different points. Some of us experience it more than others. Uh, just the same as you know, some of us can look at a donut and put on 10 pounds and others of us can eat a whole pack of donuts and not show any difference. Uh, we're all wired differently, <laughs> right? Um, but depression, we're not saying, oh, you need to get rid of that uh, and you need to be filled with joy. We're saying, God has joy for you. Look for it. Because it may look different than everybody else's joy, just like your experience of depression is different from other people's experience of depression. But God has joy because he has the answers that we're longing for and that feel out of reach when you're suffering from depression. Okay, that's a whole other sermon that we probably need to do another time. What's God's answer for being broken? Wholeness, healing, yeah, for sure. That goes for body and soul, doesn't it? I know that many of us have experienced supernatural healing in our hearts. I don't mean the, the, the pump that's moving the blood around your body. I mean the inner you. 
And God is continually committed to that healing process, isn't he? Okay, what about being alone or abandoned? Community. I love that word. Thank you, Jamie. Say that again a little louder for me. Embrace. Embrace. Yes, thank you. Good. What about afraid? Confident, empowered. What casts out fear? Love. That's right. So love. I'm going to put empowered by love. Because that kind of puts it together, right? And then a couple more. Pride. What's God's answer to pride? Humility. Okay, where does humility come from? Or how would we define humility? Let's not get that wrong. Anybody want to pitch in on humility? Is humility thinking less of yourself? No. It's being known for who you are. Thank you. It's, I feel like humility, I don't feel, I've discovered that humility is very closely linked with integrity and transparency. It's what you see is what you get. It's here I am, and I'm not pretending to be perfect, but I'm also not pretending to be a piece of insert expletive. Right? <laughs> I was listening to a podcast the other day where the person didn't self-censor. <laughs> but, but it was very effective. <laughs> but humility is being real, is being true inside and outside. Right? It's being transparent, it's having integrity, and so on. What's God's answer to independence? Fellowship. I like that. And dependence. Dependence on God and on others. Surrender. Interdependence, maybe. Right? Because God doesn't want me to be dependent on you. He wants me to be dependent on him, but he wants us to be interdependent with one another, doesn't he? Yes. I'm not sure how I'm going to boil that all down into one word that will fit in that space. But what's God's answer for emptiness? Yes, fullness. Oops, dependence. Run out of whiteboard. (laughs) Provision is a good word, isn't it? Let me explain what I mean. <laughs> provision is a good word. Provision comes from God, right? And pro means for. God is for you. But it's linked with vision. God has a vision for you <laughs> that means that God's vision comes for you. Is that too much of a play on words? Do you, do you catch that? God, ha- God imagines what's good for you. And then he goes, here. (laughs) And all you've got to do is take it. (laughs) Um, And that's provision. Because God is for you. I love it. Thank you. Yes, go ahead. Poverty mentality, yeah. 
Now we're stepping into profound territory. Thank you, Tracy. Poverty mentality is where it's not that you're truly poor, it's that you think you're poor. And it's, <laughs> and it's a lie because of provision. <laughs> so that's really good. Carol. Can you think you're not worthy for more? Anybody ever thought that? I can't put up both hands because I dropped the microphone, but maybe that's the right thing to do, yeah. Of course, we think we're not worthy, don't we? Now, where does that thought come from? Hmm? The devil. The deceiver, the liar, the thief, the one who's out to get you, right? Now, I don't want you to be afraid of the devil. I just want you to, <laughs> to have a, a healthy disregard for his tactics and his lies, right? Because it's not true that we're not worthy. But we all fall into that, don't we? That's, where, that's the orphan. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm never going to get anything. And, and, and it's all of these things that we slide into because that's our tendency and that's what we've been taught by life and by the world's standards. But these are all of God's answers for us. And I, I really believe that John fourteen eighteen that we talked about a little bit last week is the heart of the whole of the Bible where Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. That sums up the whole of this. <laughs> really? You look from the very beginning, I mean, maybe not Genesis chapter 1, maybe not Genesis chapter 2, but everything else from there onward <laughs> could be summed up in that one sentence. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Which is wonderful. And then in, in John 14 verse 23, he basically says, we will come to you and we'll make our home with you. And you know what? God wants us to be just like that. He does. He, he says, I want to make my home with you. And I, I mean, let's throw these guys under the bus real quick because they're probably the healthiest family I've ever met. But <laughs> when they come and stay with us like they used to before they moved here, they would just move in and the kids would make their home with us. And it was the biggest compliment that they, you know, they might have been here for, for 15 minutes and the boys have already pulled out the recliner in the, in the living room and, and all the blankets off the back and they've built a fort and, and, and then it's full of dinosaurs and, and then they've gone and found where the Duplo's hiding and they've pulled it out and it's everywhere. And that's exactly what the kingdom of God is all about. I want your heart to catch that God is longing for you to just come wandering in and put your water bottle on the table and make yourself at home on the front row. <laughs> Jesus says we've got to become like little children. How many adults are sitting on the front row? Hello? <laughs> you are welcome in God's house. Not saying that this building is God's house, but you, are, you have a place in God's heart. And he loves to be distracted by you wandering in and doing your thing. 
is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, we need to adjust that microphone because it's too high for you, isn't it, Valora? I'm so sorry. Actually, I'm not, but... <laughs> It's the new covenant that Robert was talking about when we prepared to share communion together, right? It's that new covenant. We were designed to live in love. When we live in love, power results. When we live for power, love gets squeezed out. Because that's really what we've put on the board here is the result of trying to live for power, isn't it? <laughs> love gets squeezed out when we get it the wrong way around. But when we live for love, when we allow the love of God to fill us, you know what happens when it overflows? It's power. That's why... The fuel groups can have times where we pray for one another and you really feel it. That's why you can get a, an extension on your visa <laughs> and, and, and come and cry at the front of the church family meeting celebration on a Sunday morning because God is so good. That's why we gather together because the love in you overflows and blesses me and the love in, in the person next to you overflows and blesses you. And, and that's what it's all about. I'm so conscious that this, this feels so basic and simple, but actually, we've got to get to this. We mustn't complicate it with strategies and plans and promotions and, and all of the power stuff, because actually we lose the love if we don't treasure the love. And God wants to fill us with love. <laughs> There was an old song, well, it's not that old, I guess, but it feels old to me. More love, more power. A 90s hit. Oh, maybe I'm not quite as old as I thought I was. Yeah, I was thinking it was 80s. But yeah, more love, more power. It goes... It was... Oh, darn, I am as old as I thought I was. Never mind. <laughs> That's the way round. Okay? More love, more power. And God wants us to have more power because Lord knows our world needs more power, but we're not going to get it by striving for power because that becomes this. Remember whose strategy that is? That's the enemy's strategy. God is this. It's the power of welcome. It's the power of invitation. It's the power of embrace. It's the power of being accepted and being affirmed and being healed, and being made whole and, and experiencing community. God draws us. But Satan will always throw in, oh, well, you should do that and you shouldn't have this and you better do that. And, and he wants to distract us. I was... One of the most challenging verses in the New Testament is in John chapter 5, where Jesus says the Son can do nothing of himself. Because a lot of the time, I think I can do a lot of stuff of myself. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> But he said, the son can do nothing of himself. Now, this is the one who heals the sick, 
(laughs) cleanses lepers and casts out demons and raises the dead. Surely Jesus can do everything. We learned that in Sunday school, didn't we? The answer to every question in Sunday school, especially the little ones, is Jesus. (laughs) But Jesus says the Son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the Father do. And he's giving us a glimpse into all of this. Because the reason Jesus was empowered by love was because he and the Father were like this. They were so close. They were in community. They were in relationship, constant relationship. And the design of God is that you and I should have that same level of relationship where we only do what we see the Father do. Or that we catch on to how much the Father is doing and do a lot more than we're already doing. Because that to me is the application at the moment. I realize that God is doing so much. And, and every time I lose my focus on what God is doing and think about what I can do, that limits what I do. But God wants us to be unlimited in what we can do because he's at work. He's crying out to a hurting world and saying, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, yes, Jesus spoke those words, but we just said he only does what he sees the father do. He only says what he hears the father say. In fact, one time he mixed the two up and he said, I only say what I see the father do. Or was it, I only do what I hear the father say, one or the other. But words and works are the same thing to to God. If God says it, it happens. Let there be light. (laughs) And there was, right? So when God speaks, God acts. When God acts, it's because he speaks. And he wants us to experience that closeness of only doing what we hear the Father saying and joining in with what he's doing. I was on a Zoom call yesterday morning talking about how much the Father loves us and how we can displace that emptiness of orphanness. And I was reminded of back when my kids were little, they all wanted to do what Dad was doing. So if I was working out in the yard planting a garden, they wanted to get their little plastic spades and forks and wheelbarrows and things and come and do what dad was doing in fact i remember very clearly there was one stage where we had to create two gardens one that was mine where the stuff would actually grow because i knew what i was doing and one that was theirs where they could do whatever they wanted to that was copying what dad was doing and all kinds of interesting things grew there some of the things they planted grew and some of them they dug them up and they didn't grow at all but they wanted to do what dad was doing Or if I was doing something around the house, we had to get little plastic hammers and things because if they got hold of the real hammer, that wasn't good news. (laughs) Uh, A little plastic saw because we kept getting these kind of grooves cut into things because they wanted to do what Dad was doing. And it's all about relationship. Because this hadn't struck me before, but I wanted to share it with you. I suddenly realized on that Zoom call yesterday, I still have that relationship with my sons. Our eldest is going to be 29 on Tuesday. That's why Jane's not here this weekend. She's gone to be with him for the weekend. Uh, you know, so they're, they're 29, 27, 25, but they still 
want to find out what does dad think, what, what would dad do in this circumstance. We've got that level of relationship. Just in this past week, I've had a conversation with one about green cards, another one about buying cars, and a third one about how to get your pants repaired. Because they want to know what dad thinks. <laughs> Now, okay, that's from the, you know, the, the important to the ridiculous, but, um, but they want to know what dad thinks. And it was a, a, such a lesson to me. And I'm like, Father, I want to always be saying, what are you doing and how can I join in? And half the time, I'm going to be like my kids were when they were this high. I'm going to mess it up, but you're still going to grow some good stuff. <laughs> okay, give me the plastic tools, God. <laughs> I just want to copy you. You do the real work, I want to copy. Because you're the one who can do it and not me. So I want us to think just for a second here about how that changes our view of God and our view of ourselves and then our view of others around us. Because once we start to step into the love of God and how he wants us to be copying him and joining in with him and stepping into that level of relationship that Jesus has with the Father in his earthly ministry. He wants us to get to that same kind of level of, Father, what are you doing? I want to cooperate with you. And Sometimes it will be that we don't do things that we think we should do. I've learned to flag should in my mental conversation. Because whenever I hear a should, it's probably not from God. Because <laughs> should has this to it. I'm not saying always, but I've learned just to check it. If there's a should, I'm going to look more closely to see who's behind this. Because more often than not, it's not my Heavenly Father. How did I get onto that? Never mind. As we cooperate with God and learn to distinguish the drawing from the driving, we learn to get sensitive to that distinction. Suddenly we find that our relationship with the Father is a lot closer than we thought it was. Because of that not worthy thing that Carol rightly mentioned. We think we're more distant from the Father than we really are. When actually, John 14 says, if you love Jesus, the Father and Jesus, love that. My little visual aid's gone again now, but Father comes to us and joins in and makes his home in you. And so that feeling of distance is not a true feeling. It's a lie from the enemy to distract me and pull me back onto the left-hand side of the orphan chart. But it also changes the way I see other people. Because when I'm living on the left-hand side, you're competition for me. So if you're succeeding and I'm not, well, now I've got to hate you because you're winning and I'm losing. <laughs> the enemy would have me believe, right? Until I recognize, oh, wait, this is just my emptiness talking. 
there's an answer to this that doesn't involve you being pulled down so that I can feel better about me. There's an answer to this that doesn't involve you being the fault for my pain. Because it's just an emptiness and my father's got more than enough to fill me. And so it changes how I see other people. You know, that son of a gun who cut me off on the highway the other day. There wasn't one, but I'm making it up. But just suppose there was. Everything that I was tempted to feel, I can say, oh, wait a minute. If I'm empty like that, chances are that driver's empty too. And now I have compassion for somebody who has to drive like a devil <laughs> because they're empty. Do you see how it changes how we see other people? I, this is another one. I'm going to wrap it up in a second. But how? Don't put your hand up, but how often do you scan around the room and think, well, you know, I'm not going to point at anybody, but, you know, well, he's in sin. <laughs> she hasn't got it together. That judgmentalism that comes out in us. We need to see it as emptiness in me rather than sin in you. It doesn't take any skill to see the sin in other people. <laughs> takes a great deal of love to overflow with compassion for sinners who are just as sinful as I am. I'm not saying we excuse sin, but actually the only solution to sin is love, right? The love of God being poured into each other's hearts. And that brings me to the final thing I wanted to touch on. That Again, this came out of the, um, the, the Zoom call yesterday. The whole concept of Father God wants to father us directly and through community. That's why I love these fuel groups getting going, because it gives us an opportunity to father one another. And again, just like sons and brides, this is not a male, older man kind of thing. I've been fathered by young women in their example of what Father God is like. So we all get to father one another with the love that Father God has put in us. But let's not in any way think that we can grow beyond needing to be fathered by one another. So as I was telling some of my story on this Zoom call, I suddenly realized just how many people God has put in my life since I realized that I need to embrace community. I need to embrace fathering so that I can grow into who God wants me to be, right? Because up to that point 25 years ago where I encountered God as a loving father, I had no room for that. It was weakness to need somebody else to speak into my life and it was threatening to me and to, to my facade of perfection, I used to have a facade of perfection. I can't even say it now, thankfully. But I used to have a facade of perfection. It's horrible. It takes so much work. Now I get to show up just as me. 
But there were people at every step of the way that God put in my life because I wanted him to. So I want to encourage you to risk wanting God to put people in your life who will benefit you and who you can benefit. Because it's always a two-way street. As I look around this room, I see different ones of us. who we, You have benefited me. And I thank you for that. But I, I know that you're here because at some point, Jane and I have benefited you as well. And I'm thankful for that. You see how community works. It's a two-way street that our Father loves. Just like an earthly father is really pleased when his kids get along and play together. It's not like that all the time. We know that. But we, that's another sermon for another day. But, but when it works... It's a glimpse of how God wants us all to be. Where we're loving one another with the Father's love. And where we're choosing to seek out people who can speak into our lives. And Jane and I are very thankful for that in our lives. Through you and through others outside of this church family. So I'm going to finish with this. I believe we're in an, Ephes- an Ephesian moment in the church in America. This is from Revelation chapter 2. You know the letters to the churches from Jesus. Let me just read it and then I'll describe what I mean and we'll pray. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that's Jesus, right? I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. See, I believe that the church in America, and when I say the church, I mean the big C church, all believers. I believe we're in a season where we are like the Ephesian church in Revelation, where many of us have been holding on to what we know, but we've been kind of patiently waiting for something to happen. We've, we've been hanging on and, and bearing and enduring patiently and doing our best not to grow weary, But in the process of holding on, we've forgotten that love is the first thing. Or we've lost sight of that. And I believe we have the opportunity to turn away from doing what we think is right. That was the sin of the Nicolaitans, was they did it. I mean, the detail doesn't really matter, but the basic point was they were doing what they thought was right. And they were wrong. Because they hadn't received the input of others who were closer to Jesus than they were and who'd understood the word of God better than they had. 
But if we repent, and that simply means to turn towards Jesus and the Father, if we repent, we'll do the works we did at first. Now, when you first came to Christ, did you love him because he loved you? (laughs) I did. I remember it very clearly still to this day. It's like, oh, wow. There's this whole massive universe of love that I didn't even know was there, and now I've stepped into it. And it was so easy to love God, and it was so easy to love other people because I suddenly discovered how big his love was. And God doesn't want us to get so focused on hanging on and bearing and, 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 and just waiting and wearily hanging on to what we used to know. He wants us to turn back to that massive source of love that he is so that we receive from him what he wants us to receive, which is that love that we've described here. Fullness, provision, wholeness, community. And I believe you're here this morning because you want that. And I believe it's a significant time for all of us to say yes. So would you stand with me? I'd like to pray as we say yes to him. And then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for that massive universe of love where we can't do anything compared to what you can do. We only want to do what you are doing. We want to have our hearts and our eyes and our ears focused on what is Father doing? How is Father loving And Father, in this season, would you turn us back to our first love? That you love me so I can love you. And you want me to love others the way I love myself. With the love you have. So, Father, where there's an emptiness in each of us, would you come now and fill it? Where the orphan still influences every one of us, would you come and displace that with the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of fullness? We welcome you now, Holy Spirit to fill us with yourself to overflowing thank you thank you I deliberately didn't prepare a prepared ending for today I wanted to just see what Father wanted to do and what I felt him say just as we're finishing here is that there's at least two groups of people in the room some of you you've got a a real burden for something outside of this room a situation or a calling or an opportunity and if that's you I want to ask you to agree with 
somebody else. God will show you who else in this room do I agree with for, for that glimpse you've had of an opportunity um, outside of this room. Maybe it's neighbors, maybe it's workplace, maybe it's your family, but there's something beyond our gathering here that God has put on your heart as we've been talking and as we've been praying. Would you ask him now, so who do I agree with before I leave? Because when two or three agree on earth, it's done in heaven. And then there's a second group of people I feel like Father highlighted as we were praying there. And you're saying, I really want more of that fullness. I really want more of that displacement of the emptiness of the orphan. And he's here to give you yet another taste of his fullness yet another. Now the enemy will say, oh, you've done this before. You, you should have got it by now. No. No, that's a lie. The truth is you come and drink every time you want to. Every time you see how much love Father has for you. You come and drink it in some more. Receive it some more. Be filled some more. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you just to come down the front because we'd love to pray with you and agree with what God has said to you. And that's what we'll do as we close. If you need to agree with somebody else so that what God has shown you to happen on earth will be done in heaven, ask him who to agree with. Go find them and agree together briefly in prayer. And if you're in the group that God, you want to receive more of God to displace any emptiness that remains, come on down the front. We'd be honored to pray with you. God bless you and we'll see you next week.